0: today is a great day to start your own podcast whether you're looking for a new marketing channel have a message you want to share with the world or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show podcasting is an easy cost-effective and fun way to expand your online reach buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to promote track and launch your podcast your show can be listed on all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording You can be listed on such directories as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners, and the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters, just like myself, who are already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Follow the link in the show notes below to get started. This lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you. You will receive a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up with a paid plan and you're helping support the show. Don't let fear hold you back and let's create something great together on Buzzsprout. all right guys and welcome to the drunken worm podcast my name is carl the host and the creator of this podcast and we are listening to episode number eight and i have a great and special guest for you guys today her name is dr heather brostrand and heather and i met originally when i was working at a company called centerpoint over in napa and heather was the lovely lady that would sign off on our treatment plans. She would sign off on our ASAM assessments and she handled everything on the back end for us to make sure that the clients that we had coming into treatment would have a smooth experience and also to verify that the information that we were putting on our documents and everything else were going to be uh there and sufficient enough to state medical necessity uh, to remain in treatment um, also to track the different levels of care that we can step them down to so I'm very excited to have Heather on the episode today and without any further ado let's go ahead and we're going to get this episode started episode number eight Welcome to the Drunken Worm Podcast. My name is Carl, your host and creator of this podcast. Each week, I will be bringing you dynamic content that will educate and inspire. This podcast was created to talk to mental health professionals about addiction, recovery, and their own personal stories that can inspire us to become better people and live healthier lives. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey guys, are you looking for a backstage pass? How about a behind-the-scenes look at this podcast? Well, I have exciting news for you. Starting October 1st, we will be opening the doors to the Drunken Worm Podcast and letting our listeners join in the fun and conversation. Check out the different ways that you can support this show and gain access to exclusive content, such as free Drunken Worm Podcast merchandise for one full year. Join an exclusive community where you can talk to other members, vote on upcoming show topics, Hear exclusive audio footage from interviews each month, receive a personal shout-out on an upcoming episode, and stay up-to-date with the Drunken Worm Podcast monthly newsletter so that you can stay informed about upcoming guests, show topics, and community news. With four different pledge options to fit any budget, you can flex your power and become a super fan today. That is my next guest, Heather, and she is live with us, although Heather is off screen right now. So, Heather, have you left the interview already?
1: I have not. I have not.
0: I'm actually (laughs) wired
1: in. See? There you go. That's (laughs)
0: fantastic. So, Dr. Heather Brostrand, did I pronounce your last name correct?
1: You did. You're one of the few.
0: Yay. Okay, good. I've been practicing all week and I had it <laughs> stickied up to my bathroom window. And as I was brushing my teeth, I was like, oh, Dr. Bro Strand. And bro it was a mess. Bro. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, I want to get one of get those Swedish lines that go over the O. The little, I don't even know what they're called. Oh, Not an umlaut, not yeah. an accent, but that straight line that goes over the O to make it an O uh-huh. instead of an ah.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I just remember that it's bro and then I just put in the strand. So yeah, okay, cool. So Heather, welcome to the show and I'm really excited to have you on. So we're kind of starting the show up the first few episodes and I've had a lot of great guests on previous episodes. We've interviewed a Dr. Youssef who talked about being able to reach out in times of crisis. And we also had Pete Nielsen on from the- One of my prior supervisors. Yes, one of your prior supervisors. So this is almost Sorry, like a I homecoming for Heather and I. Sense. That is okay. It is. Yeah. So, okay. So, Heather, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your credentialing levels, and kind of how you got started into the addiction field and the field of therapy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll try to make it a shorter story. <laughs> so, let's see. I got my bachelor's in psychology and really enjoyed Working with people. I started my undergrad as a business administration major and realized that was really not where my interests lay. That was the D in econ. You know, I actually tried and I still got a D in economics. So, time to look elsewhere. So, I really enjoyed psychology. So, I got my bachelor's in psychology and then I went to work at a group home for a minute with what they used to call severely emotionally disturbed teenage girls. Anyone who has worked with adolescent girls (laughs) knows I had my hands full. The uh, one great story is when one of them set the house on fire. That was interesting. So I got lots of great experience at that group home. And then I did a minute at Juvenile Hall. That was challenging. The back when we had California Youth Authority. So young men who were 24 years old. And then I found workers' compensation Rehabilitation. So I went to work for a company that provided rehabilitation counseling services to injured workers. And so I did that until about 1994. And I thought, I'm going to have to have a master's degree if I want to actually do anything in this field, because with a bachelor's, you can't be licensed. So I decided to go get a master's degree and I went over, I was living in Riverside at the time, went over to Cal State San Bernardino and met with one of the professors, happens to be a professor for rehabilitation counseling. But I had gone there to look at the marriage family therapy program because that's how you get a license. So I talked to the faculty, but they only had a daytime program. And what do you know? I needed to keep my full-time day job. So I found the Rehabilitation Counseling Master's Degree. And when we talk about rehabilitation in this context, we mean people with disabilities. Now, of course, mental illness is a disability, as is substance use disorder, a disability. Or if you use a wheelchair, that's a disability. Or if you have what we used to call mental retardation, that's a disability. So it could be a physical, mental, emotional disability. So I got my master's degree in San Bernardino, took the certified rehabilitation counselor exam. So at the time, that was our national certification. California did not have a license for rehabilitation counselors. So I had that and I went to work for the Department of Rehabilitation. No, I beg your pardon. I went to work for... Yeah, the Department of Rehab couldn't hire me right away because they had just gone into this order of selection, whatever. So I didn't go to the Department of Rehab until 1995. And I worked with Department of Rehab for a while. And would you know, we had a disability issue. So my supervisor, that's probably too long of a story. I left the Department of Rehab and I thought, what the heck am I going to do now? So I signed up for services for myself because I had incurred a disability while working at the Department of Rehabilitation. And so I just turned around and got on the other side of the desk and said, all right, how are you guys going to help me get back to work? I can't perform my usual and customary occupation. So I went to DVC, Diablo Valley College, and I got a certificate in drug and alcohol counseling. And one of the reasons I showed up there was I looked at my caseload at the Department of Rehabilitation, and fifty percent of them had alcohol addiction or substance use disorder. And at the time, I thought, well, I don't know shit about this. <laughs> I thought I, I don't know about drugs. I mean, I had smoked some pot. That's about it. but I as far as I knew, I didn't have addiction in my family. So I did that certificate program, and during that time came to realize that my boyfriend was a meth addict. Wow, that was a surprise. So that was really interesting to deal with that on a personal level while I was also dealing with it on academic level and vocational level. And after that, I was reinstated with the Department of Rehabilitation. I did work for a minute at Inland AIDS Project. So I was their substance abuse counselor. So all of my clients had HIV or AIDS, and this was back in the early 90s. So And they had substance use disorder. I I still remember the time one of my guys, and he was a heroin addict, and he had been struggling, and he was just getting sicker and problems at home, et cetera, et cetera. And I still remember the day he brought in all his works, all his pipes, all his everything, and just brought them into me. I don't know what the hell I was going to do with that stuff, but I was so impressed. I was so proud. I was so happy that he had been able to take that step. He didn't know what to do with it, but he knew he was ready for a change. And so he knew, bring it to us, we'll take care of you. So that was really exciting. I was reinstated with the Department of Rehabilitation. And then I decided I wanted to be called doctor. Turns out, hardly anybody calls me doctor. But whatever, I thought it was important to be Dr. Brostrand. So uh, I have a friend who graduated from Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. And he said, I'll get you in. I said, okay. so I applied and and with some help from the president of NRA, that's rehab, not rifles, he wrote a great (laughs) letter for me because I was real involved with my professional association, which is one thing I recommend to my students now. Get involved with a professional association. That's how you network. That's how it's not what you know, it's who you know. So it was one of my contacts with the National Rehabilitation Association that really sealed the deal and got me into PhD school. So I moved out to Carbondale, Illinois. I was told, let's see, the first week, all of my stuff was stolen out of my backyard. The second week, somebody left a note on my car that said the wicked will pay with their lives. I had a few progressive bumper stickers. So somebody told me, yeah, you know, Heather, we're not even the Bible Belt. We're the stomach that hangs over the Bible Belt. I said, well, that explains a lot. So I didn't really know how much (laughs) I had going for me in California until I went to the midwest and it was a real eye-opener it was also very interesting to see a rural life i still remember reading journal articles about rural versus urban and i thought how difficult how different can it be come on and then i got there We had active kkk people had confederate flags hanging on their front porches and uh, it was a real challenge so that first month i found the rainbow community I knew I would not survive unless I found the normal people. So I found (laughs) my normal people, the people who know who they are and what they're about and, you know, aren't afraid to say something. And so that saved my life. I had the best three and a half years in Carbondale that I've had in a long time. So I did my PhD in about four years. and That was a rehabilitation doctorate, piled high and deep and with an emphasis in counselor education. So I came back, I worked for the VA for a, a brief moment in Boise, Idaho, and then I came back to Northern California and I hired on with the county of Contra Costa County and I was working in vocational services. So my supervisor was a retiree from the Department of Rehabilitation and he had connected our mental health division with the Department of Rehabilitation's Mental Health Employment Division. So we had a cooperative program. So for seven years, I worked with people with severe and persistent mental illness, but also the population coming out of residential drug treatment programs. So back when Feruso was really big in West County and Bybet and uh, Diablo Valley Ranch is over in Central. So I got to get to know people in East and in West County. And those programs. And it was just, it was great. It was eye-opening. And also came to find out, come to find out, I think we figured it out in the early 2000s. My father was an addict alcoholic. And in 2008, he died. And I got to tell you, my participation in Al-Anon made all the difference. I don't know how I would have made it without them. And, of course, I immediately found a therapist, an, a good therapist. And so it you know, it was very difficult to lose him that way. But because of, I think, because of my educational background, I was able to have, I, don't, I guess we wouldn't call it a clean slate. My family was not ignorant of recovery. My father was. <laughs> but we were able to at least say what we needed to say. Talk about what we needed to talk about. I mean, I remember just one month before he died saying, You know, you're no fun anymore. It's just not as much fun because I think this stuff has damaged your brain. And we really, we're all sick and tired of it. What are you going to do? So at least we were honest and open. And I didn't have to hold on to that as long as I think I might have if I hadn't been involved in Al Anon. Because mm-hmm. I didn't even realize, I mean, until he told me. I didn't realize that he thought crack was a great diet plan. Hello. (laughs) So, and you know, whatever gets us started, all kinds of things keep us using.
0: They, they do. Um, And you know, part of what is really striking to me is the, the fact that you were able to locate and find a community that you, that you felt connected to. And, I think that's so important to remember for people that are coming into the recovery community or, you know, even for people that might not suffer from addiction problems. Maybe it's a person coming out of high school and now they're going to college. And to find that community that we can connect with, that we feel comfortable with, that we have things that we can relate to is very important and it, it holds a big therapeutic value for us. So... Do you think that was absolutely instrumental later on for you be having that experience in Illinois
1: probably um it connected it, yeah, I was able to be stay connected. And, and of course, I attended meetings while I was there, and we also had, because it's such a small town, Carbondale is two miles square miles or something like that. So of course, those of us working, those of us who were professionals, it was difficult to go to meetings because we bumped into our clients. period. There was just were not enough meetings to handle that. And so we had a professional meeting which was fantastic. So I could go to my meetings and I was doing Overeaters Anonymous and some CODA, codependency. And so I would go to those meetings and have my peeps, you know, and those connections, but also to go to that professional meeting. It was really great to be able to sort of, I want to say network on a personal level. You know, there really is, I mean, when you find out that someone you work with, that you're also connected through something else. You know, whether it's mm-hmm. your both your parents did such and such or both of you were in the Peace Corps or both of you go to 12-step programs or both of you are part of the Rainbow Coalition or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to have those personal connections and those meaningful linkages,
0: Absolutely. And that's why it's so important for anybody to find that community. So if you guys are listening and you haven't found your community and, and maybe you're thinking about going into a, a recovery community, be it 12-step, be it, you know, maybe a secular recovery group or maybe even a church program, you know, Celebrate Recovery is a really good religious-based 12-step program. And so take the first step and, and take that leap to trust that you are not alone for myself coming into recovery. was like, I was like, but there's nobody else like me. And I I remember my sponsor handing me the, the basic, the basic text for narcotics anonymous. And I'll tell you what, Heather, I was reading that book. Like it was a Tom Clancy novel. I was going through this and it's a freaking page Turner, man. I'm going through this. Like, Holy crap. How did they know this about me? And I was so like, flabbergasted about this book and about this experience that i was having that there were other people like that out there and they wrote a book about me and i remember going to my sponsor and i told my sponsor i said hey man this book is me how did they know all this stuff that i've gone through are people watching me and (laughs) i remember he turned to me and he said don't be a fucking idiot the book wasn't written about you it's our experience and i'm like Oh, so, yeah, so I, I can really relate to the community aspect of finding that that group of people that you can relate to and and everything else. So, Heather, let's jump into kind of our topic today. So we've talked a little bit about coming in and finding a community that we can relate with. And what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about the struggles that some people have that are classified with a disability and the ability to find work. And I also want to talk about, you know, how much should somebody expect to have to work coming early into recovery or early in, you know, identifying and dealing with a mental illness. So could you kind of take us into the world of your expertise? Well,
1: yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some of it isn't necessarily what I'm an expert in, but I am an expert in resources. I am really good at connecting people with what they can benefit from. And 211 is a great place to start. So I would always do that. Whatever county I was in, I would figure out what are our resources? What do we have available? What can people use? And, you know, in talking about employment, Especially in recovery, the first thing I think about is residential recovery, where when you go in, if you've had a regular job over the last year and a half, you know, if you're paying taxes, you qualify for state disability insurance. You can go see a doctor and talk about, I'm going into a three-month recovery program. It's residential. And they should put you on state disability insurance. You have that for up to a year. Many doctors just automatically give you three months because that's what the residential treatment program is. I encourage people who are talking to their doctors about disability insurance to ask for an additional three months because that's when you're going to be looking for a job. You probably are not going to have a job unless you already had a job going into recovery. You're probably not going to have a job the day you step out of recovery. So think ahead. Mm -hmm. See if you can at least get that little bit of disability money so that you have a little something to support yourself. So state disability insurance is through the EDD, and I recommend everyone take advantage of that. Now, I speak about residential more often because if you're in residential for three months, you are not holding down a job. So it's entirely possible you need a job when you get out of recovery. So I also recommend people in residential as well as people in outpatient that you go apply for services at the Department of Rehabilitation. So the Department of Rehabilitation is in every city. You can literally Google Department of Rehabilitation near me, and it'll come up. For example, I don't know what county you consider yourself part of now, Carl, but I'm not sure where Solano's is. But I know that Contra Costa right in Concord has a large EDD office. We call it a one-stop or a career center. And all of your services are supposed to be in that one building. That's why they call it the one-stop. So you should be able to apply for EDD, for unemployment services or for state disability insurance. But you can also apply with the Department of Rehab at these uh, one-stop career centers. Sometimes they even have a representative on site so you can talk to that person. Now, of course, because of COVID, things have changed here and there. You want to call the office, find out, do they do an orientation or do they just want to send you the paperwork? You want to get in and see a counselor. At a minimum, As long as they say you qualify for services, the Department of Rehab is going to give you an interview outfit. You know They're going to tell you everyone is different. It's all very individualized. But I'm going to tell you, at a minimum, if you're serious about looking for work, they're going to give you an interview outfit. Okay, so there you can go to weddings and funerals now. And then they're going to give you a bus pass. So yeah, you may use your car, then they probably aren't going to give you much money. But at least you get a bus pass or BART or whatever you need to get around and do mm-hmm. your job search. And then they offer you job search assistance. So I, th- I think Department of Rehab is a great idea. They're real, they can be slow. It's a government agency. can take a minute to do some paperwork. But you need to advocate for yourself. Now, yeah. one of the things that happens, is some people will say, well, substance Use Disorder, you're clean and sober. That's not a disability. Carl, did you have a question for me? I don't breathe much. Yeah, well,
0: no, I just wanted to, That that's okay. <laughs> I just wanted to interject there because I've had experiences with the Department of Rehab and I've actually, I have had co-workers who are, were counselors and staff at uh, my previous job over at Duffy's in Calistoga and they utilized this resource and they utilized it very well. The Department of Rehab funded two people's master's programs all because they had been diagnosed with a substance use disorder and so this was a really good opportunity for these guys to say hey you know what i want to continue and further my education so you know even with people with time which i think you were about to go into you know even if you're not in active addiction we're still diagnosed with that diagnosis
1: exactly and as you go through Those of us who go through and get a certificate or those of us who go on and get a master's degree, we know that even though your disability is not currently interfering, you still have it. So the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, the thing that we use to diagnose mental illness, technically it's called a mental illness because it's in that book, but that book contains schizophrenia, it contains substance use disorder, it contains mental retardation. So there are a lot of things that fall under that category. So if you have participated in recovery, the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is a federal law regarding the employment of people with disabilities, the Americans with Disabilities Act says that you have a qualifying disability. You have, there are some, couple of caveats. You have to be clean and sober. You have to have gone through some kind of a treatment program. I think most of us, if we have that kind of situation, we can document that we've been through a treatment program. The Department of Rehab provides, it has three prongs, provides services to people who have a qualifying disability. That disability interferes with getting or with keeping a job and you have to be ready to go to work. So I would sit down with somebody who Maybe they, let's say they have a substance use disorder. What do you want to be when you grow up? I would love to be a counselor. Okay, let's take a look at what can you do to make that happen. Now, if you don't have any, a bachelor's degree or any other education, getting a certificate in substance use treatment might be appropriate for you. I urge you to remind your counselor that you need a study exam, class that you need licensure they have to pay for your certification so just make sure you get everything up front in your treatment plan or your rehab plan but they can help with that so let's say you come in and you say I want to be a substance abuse counselor okay great what community college can you go to and so Carl you must have bumped into some people who perhaps they already had a bachelor's degree and they said I want to be a substance abuse counselor well at that level You could go get a certificate, but you could also convince the counselor, I bet, that a master's degree and licensure would be a much better occupation and would help you support yourself and your family. So I urge you to go for what you think you can do. A lot of people are like, I don't want a master's degree. I don't want to take an English class. I don't need to take... What (laughs) you know so a lot of people don't need to go through all of that. I just happened to have the masters when I went to D V C. So I just got the certificate. And for me it worked really well because I already had the masters. But I recommend either one. You know, be open to whatever you can get. And why go to three years of master's program if you can do the same thing with a certificate? The master's and getting license is quite a journey. But if you plan to do that, definitely, if you have a disability, talk to the Department of Rehab.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that I have learned early, even before I got into my addiction of 17 years and, you know, all that, we were really instilled in us that knowledge is power. And I've carried that now with me that, you know, this idea that we can take Anything that we want to learn and being a credentialed, a licensed, a certified counselor or even higher, you know, depending on your level, you are now required to maintain professional educational units. So the idea that knowledge is power still carries over for me that, you know, to continue my education. I I always need to be out there seeking and and looking and seeing what's new on the horizon. What is the industry saying? And what is what's happening in the world right now that is relative to my field of work?
1: Oh, yeah. And specializing in something. It always makes you a more attractive candidate, right? Why stop? There's got to be something else that you're interested in. I mean, now, back when I got my bachelor's degrees, we didn't have cell phones. Now we've got apps where as your substance use counselor, I can have you do this app twice a day. So, I mean, I went to a couple of those back when we were having the annual substance abuse um, disorder ca- conferences in California. I think we haven't had them in about five years. me, hmm. And, but they were doing them annually and it, Get to go to those things, get to know extra information, specialize in a particular area. I wanted to suggest also just one quick caveat about Department of Rehab. Usually, if you, quote unquote, only have a substance use disorder, they may say that you don't have a severe enough disability at the moment. And Mm -hmm. what I urge you to do is think about if you have any other disabilities. So if you have ever been on psych meds, I don't care if it was Prozac, if it was Wellbutrin to help you quit smoking, you had a diagnosis. Diagnosis is a disability if it interferes with, if it substantially limits one or more of your activities of daily living. So you can definitely demonstrate that had happened. Mm -hmm. Many people, many of us who enjoy stimulants have ADD or ADHD. That is a diagnosis. So that combined with your substance use disorder, that helps the counselor justify that you have a severe impact from your disability or disabilities. So I recommend you make sure that gets in there. You know, if you have limited vision, if you have loss of hearing, if you have some kind of orthopedic disability, be sure and share that with your counselor. Because we You know what, I tell people is when you first apply, let them know how disabled you are, let them know you need all kinds of help. As soon as you get past that hurdle, let them know how competent you are and how ready you are to go to work because they're giving you services based on your bad days. And we're all going to have bad days, but you're getting a job based on your good
0: days. And that is so relevant for going out and getting services from companies like this and organizations like this. And, you know, I would even tell this to clients that would come in for treatment is that, you know, hey, we need to sit down and we need to have a very candid conversation about how all of your. Missteps in life. We need to go back. We need to dig deep, right? Because what I'm doing is we're now taking this document to try to justify you being here for three months or maybe six months. And the justification doesn't just come from, I don't have a place to go, right? We need to state medical necessity. If we were to release that person out onto the street today, would they relapse? What's the likelihood? And that's where we have to start to dive in. So for people that are going into a treatment program, don't hold back for us. Please tell us everything because we can utilize that information to the, to your advantage. Absolutely. So Heather, if we have somebody that is coming now, they've come into a residential treatment program and now they've come to you and they said, Dr. Brostrand, I need help finding a job. I I think I can do it, but I haven't worked in a while and and I'm a little bit scared. And their question to you is going to be, do you think I can work a full-time job or what should I do?
1: I think it makes sense to think about it ahead of time. And there's nothing wrong with starting part-time. I suggest there's nothing wrong with volunteering. Now, I've had a number of programs that ask me to just please be quiet about my whole employment thing because right now we're focused on recovery. That is completely legitimate. Certainly, if you're in a recovery program for three months, the first two months need to be, you know, put your head down, don't do anything except recovery. Now, if you can, think of your third month as transitional. If you can get an extra month do it because the more treatment you have under the your belt the better right it helps you no matter what the more treatment you have but let's say whatever your last month is i recommend you try and use that as a transition time try and apply for the department of rehabilitation try and get to that one stop career center try and go to 211 and look at what your resources are i say also try and volunteer there's some kind of a business next door. Volunteer to clean their bathroom once a day. Yeah, that would be a sucky job. It doesn't matter. That They're going to give you a reference. If you show up every single day at whatever o'clock and you clean that bathroom every day, Monday through Friday, they're going to give you a letter of recommendation. They may even know your next boss because then they know you have a good work ethic. I urge you, if your treatment facility will allow it, volunteer. Now let's say you're in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing around you. Find something the treatment facility will let you do that's volunteering. Make it a formal mentorship. Have one, some places have a big brother, big sisters, or a buddy system. Make it formal. Formalize it. Every week I sat down for one hour with my mentee. I want you to get that verified experience. We all have some really good experiences, but, you know, I hate to hear myself say it, but if it's not written down, it didn't happen, is how most of this world thinks so if you can get those letters those recommendations and it's not what you know it's who you know so i urge you to do that i mean who doesn't want their bathroom cleaned an extra time and yeah it's a crappy job but the idea is it establishes you as dependable reliable thorough all those good keywords that you want to use on a resume speaking of resumes if you have big gaps in your oh, sorry. We're going to go on to resumes, maybe.
0: Okay. Well, I just wanted to to inter, inter interject there because what you said is is so important for people to realize that when they're coming into out, why well, call it outside of the bubble? Because when you're in a re- residential treatment facility, you really are in a protected bubble, and even right now with a pandemic going on, it's even more protected because from my experience, you know, we are limiting the amount of times people go out and interact into the real world. So that being said, if you can start to build those skills within a controlled environment, and even if you can't get out to do any volunteering, ask to be put on a work detail inside of the treatment facility, ask to be put on a schedule, say, Hey, I know you guys work hard and you need your trash taken out in the offices, or you need me to come through and sweep the floors. You know, put yourself on a schedule, volunteer within the treatment facility, because what's that, What is, what that will teach you is it's going to teach you responsibility, it's going to teach you to be on time, and it's going to teach you, you know, how to feel comfortable asking for help. And these are all things that most people coming into a treatment facility either lack the competence of doing, lack the confidence of doing, or just don't know how to do it all together. So, yeah, really good advice there, um, Heather. And um, let's jump and into volunteering. Resonance.
1: Goes on your resume.
0: Yeah, it does. Absolutely. You, I, I That's tell okay. people,
1: "What do you mean you? When you were younger, you babysat." And when I'm working with a young adult, like if you're 25. I literally, did you ever mow lawns? Like, did you do it regularly? Were you a Boy Scout? Were you a Girl Scout? I put that stuff on your resume. If it shows that you're reliable, dependable, trustworthy, whatever it is that it shows.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about resumes. What should someone expect if, you know, maybe they don't have a large work experience. A lot of the population that you and I have dealt with in the past were homeless. So that work experience, now we have gaps of employment, which companies will look at and they could say, you know, why is there a discrepancy on your employment gap?
1: Yep. Yeah, And uh, not only being homeless, but also when we're in our addiction, right, we're probably not working over the table. We may have under the table jobs. Those aren't as helpful and they're more difficult to get onto your resume. They're certainly more difficult to get references from, right? So I I never encourage anybody to lie. I, I just don't. I don't think it's a good way to start with a company. And of course, there are all kinds of caveats that they catch you in a lie, they can just fire you like that. And why wouldn't they? Right. Why wouldn't they just get rid of you? Because that means you're a liar and they don't they can't have that working for their company. But I do recommend you embellish. I recommend you talk about your good days, not your bad days. I recommend you make everything look really good. What what I would tell people is think of your interview or you're like a balloon. So I could hand you a balloon. A not blown up, little flat, you know, the balloon you take out of the thing. I could hand you a balloon and I could cut off a little piece of ribbon. I could hand that to you in the other hand. Here you go. Here's a balloon and a piece of ribbon. Or I could take the time to blow that balloon up and tie that ribbon around the bottom of it and hand you that. Which do you prefer? Yes, we all know the balloon is filled with hot air. We all know it. But it. I took the time, I made the effort to tie that balloon up and hand it to you ready to go pretty little picture. So that's what I try to tell you to think about yourself as. You may think you're this little limp balloon. Well, fine. Blow yourself up, put on that ribbon, and know that you are going to look your very best. And I think you need to do that on your resume as well.
0: Absolutely. And one other thing that, um, so what what I'm hearing you say is actually, you know, this is a part of You know, even though we might not have the most stellar experience, but by embellishing and and I think taking it a step further even. So after we have the resume now we're seeking work and we're going to different employers and we're saying, hey, are you guys looking for somebody? And you have that employer that says, yes, oh, my gosh, um, please fill out this application and they hand you an application, the application in your hand and you have a resume in your other hand take the time to fill all of the fields out in the application. It doesn't matter if those fields are a duplicate because I'll be honest with you, as a manager of a retail store, I had lots of applications that would come across my desk and I would not interview that person if they didn't take the time to fill out the questions on the application and to complete the paper application in full. I would not, I wouldn't even call them. I'd be like, no, I, I don't even want to deal with this person because to me, what that told me is that, you know, maybe they have a poor work ethic. Maybe they're lazy and they're just looking for the easy maybe way they're out of resume. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and on your resume, this is how you the world perceives people like that.
1: Sorry, Carl. On your resume, you don't no, have phone good. numbers and things like that. <laughs> so I recommend you fill out an application of your own. You can shrinky dink it, fold it up, put it in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Have that information with you. You never know. I it happened to me one time I walked into the supermarket and they said, Oh, we're hiring such and such. And I had a client who was looking for that job. I didn't have their stuff with me. So I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really make good contact. But If they had walked in there, they would need to go right then to that kiosk and enter their information. So have that sample practice template, whatever you want to call it, have it with you. And I agree with Carl. You need to fill that application out completely and then you staple your resume to it. Now, if you're younger and you don't have a lot of work experience and we wouldn't expect you to have a lot of work experience, a one-page basic resume is absolutely fine. Now, some people will say, "Well, if I've got an application, why do I need a resume?" Because it shows that you're a professional. It shows that you're doing everything you can do to get a job. Why wouldn't I want to hire the person who's doing everything he or she can do instead of just the minimum? So, I recommend exactly. And also, recommend. you can find.
0: You're good. Keep going.
1: Oh, okay. You ca- yeah. I got to get more hand signals. <laughs> You can definitely find all kinds of guidance on how to do resumes, but you can also find that help at the one-stop. Now, I realize when you're in your residential program, it's probably a little difficult to get a resume together. That's fine. Write out your notes. Write down when you worked, where you worked. Now, some of us are going to want a resume that just says it highlights your skills, You don't necessarily say the day, the month, the year that you started, that you ended of those 10 different jobs. You may clump them together. The last 10 years I've been in customer service or I've been in construction. But try to always have at least a basic resume.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I've learned by doing resumes is that we need to actually have multiple resumes. And this might seem like a lot of work for somebody. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Carl, why do I need to have multiple resumes? And the truth of the matter is that if I am applying for jobs in multiple industries, if I give them a resume that is geared towards the culinary industry, Now I'm applying for a job in the industry, maybe like over at Michael's as a custom framer. And all of my work experience or skills, right, show that, you know, hey, I know how to make an omelet in two minutes. And I can make it I can make you a French omelet. And the person that's over at Michael's looking at your application and your resume is going to say, great, but I don't want somebody that knows how to make omelets. I want somebody that knows how to do retail work. So when you know, for me, I I had done so many different jobs. I mean, God, I should really do a post on the website about how many different jobs I've had over the past umpteen years. And so, so for me, I think I could probably apply for any type of job and find some type of credible work experience and skills that I could apply to that job. And that's not a badge of honor. That's actually you know something that. It's taken me a long time to learn how to have a stable work history and a stable work ethic. So, yeah, you know, these are all things that and we have to And Even if you don't have with.
1: multiple resumes, oh, I'm sorry. Even if you don't have multiple resumes, find spots on your resume that can be changed. Obviously, your object- objective can be changed according to whatever job but I have definitely had that happen and as you move on you know when you start getting like for example a county job if you apply for a county job you better have all those keywords in your resume so now Carl knows about drag and dictate so I just have voice activated software or I will cut and paste I will literally cut and paste from the job description into my resume I mean if it applies of course but I will use their words not my words or I will sub out my words with their words. And Carl, I need to remember to say something about interviewing. Go ahead. Okay. So, one thing Snow. that occurs to me. Yeah. Docs know. Okay. Is when you interview, if you're comfortable with your fill in the blank, then they're going to be comfortable with it. So, let's say I use a wheelchair and I go into this employer, I am darn well going to make a joke about my wheelchair. I'm going to figure out some way to make a joke about it because I want to try and put that person at ease. They're going to see the wheelchair. They're going to know they're not supposed to ask about the wheelchair, but really all they want to know about is the wheelchair. (laughs) So it makes sense to say something about the wheelchair. Similarly to if you're going to be talking about having a substance use disorder, if you know you plan to disclose because you're That's how you do it. I had somebody say, Well, I'm in a program of rigorous honesty. I'm like, Okay, if that's how you want to play it, then you need to play it good. You need to be really comfortable with it. You need to be able to put it out there as a strength. You want that person to realize what you have accomplished, what you have recovered from. So practice as many times as you need to. Practice on the bus. Practice waiting in line. Pretend that the person in the elevator said, so what do you bring to this position? Just say it out loud. Don't say it to yourself. Speak it out. Get it out there and get your friends, your family to ask you random questions when you're least expecting it. The hard interview questions. Well, why should we hire you after you've been to jail? Well, because you come up with a joke. So the ones they can ask you about, they're going to ask you about, right? So sometimes there are those questions about do you have a felony? Do you have you been to jail? Do you have this? Do you have that? There are a lot of different ways you can answer those questions. I don't encourage people to lie, certainly. People do that cuz it's a little easier. But I encourage you to say something like we'll discuss in interview. If you absolutely have to. But if you have any criminal record, you need to get it expunged. Expungement is not a simple process. It's not easy. And sometimes it can cost some money. Hopefully you can find your public defender. You can get that shit expunged. I I tell you, I have a guy. He was my client for a few years, 10 years ago. And he just contacted me two months ago to see if I would write the final letter for his certificate of rehabilitation and pardon from the governor. If you do, it'll happen. If, but it took him literally eight years. But it was definitely worth it. And I mean, I'm just, I'm so proud to have known someone. Another thing as far as employment. So he finished a construction training program over in Richmond. And he would wait out on the corner with everybody else out of outside Home Depot, waiting for somebody to come by so he could get day work. But what he really wanted was a real job. He would write down the names of the companies on the trucks and he would call them that evening and ask to speak to a supervisor and say, hey, I saw your truck, Home Depot. I want to offer my services to you. You can hire me. And he had all the reasons that it would be cost efficient for that company to hire him instead of picking up day labor. He got a job in two weeks. So, you know, if you continue to persevere,
0: Absolutely. And that's really solid advice to, you know, to go after that dream. And I made mention in a previous episode that, you know, addicts are some of the most resourceful people on earth. I I really, truly believe this. And my whole theory is that if you take somebody that's in active addiction and you place them out into the desert and all they have on is the clothes on their back, that person in active addiction is either going to come back with a bag of dope or a bottle in their hand. Guaranteed. Because that is the extent that we go to. And so this is what I tell my clients, that if you're willing to go to that extent and you're willing to put all of that energy into finding ways to use and, and, and means to get what you need to feel better about yourself, then we need to learn how to build skills so that you now can go out into the real world and you can make yourself a better person in a positive manner. Sure, feelings are going to come up. Emotions are going to come up. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But you know what? That's life. And one of the other um, things that I learned coming into working as a recovering person is that I disclosed a little bit to just kind of set the tone. So I was going through Kaiser's program and I started a new job at Michael's as a custom framer. And I remember telling the manager that was in charge of the schedule, I said, look, I can only work these days because I have to have this time off. And she said, well, why do you need that time off? I thought you had opened a VIP ability. And okay, yes, I did put that on the resume that I was open at any time because I knew that was a little trick to get me in and then I could actually like be like, oh, hey, by the way. But what it did was that the honesty that I had with the manager and explaining my situation to her was instrumental in making sure that I had that time available. And the store manager called me into her office two days later and said, hey, the same thing. I thought you had opened availability What gives and I told her and her response to me was the fact that when she worked at Walmart, she specifically looked for people that were in recovery because those were the people that had the best work ethic. They were responsible. They would show up and they would do the work almost without question because where they were to where they are now is it's a miracle you know, for all of us.
1: Yeah, it can be difficult to decide when and what to disclose. So, you know, you're going to have to read the person. And I recommend that you try to use it in a positive manner. Try to use it as a strength. And, you know, especially if you are in a program of rigorous honesty, the more honest you can be, the better. And that doesn't mean you have to spill your guts. Nobody is saying that. And I did talk with that person who said, but I'm in a program of rigorous honesty. I have to tell everybody everything. Wait, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what does the program of rigorous honesty, what is it supposed to do? Is it supposed to help you? What's it supposed to help you with? And so we were able to take a look at what's the important thing to get out of That How do I do this? Just like making amends. How do I do this in a way that is good for everyone? Not just selfish or not just throwing myself on my sword. What's the best way to make this happen in a healthy manner?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, and that's all about recovery right there is learning how to cope with the real world. Learning how to cope with ourselves, learning how to deal with our emotions and our feelings and really learning how to react to them in a calm manner or in a manner that is different from what we were doing before. Because, you know, I have a lot of people that come through treatment and once those feelings hit, it scares them. They don't know what to do. And in one of my groups, um, a little thing we learned at Duffy's uh, for our process groups is I put a Kleenex box Few of them around the room, and and part of our theory is that I, I tell them one of the group rules is your issue, your tissue. And I go on to tell them that, you know, this is a program that you have to be able to learn how to deal with your own emotions. And if Carl is taking Heather a Kleenex box and say, Heather, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about your cat. And I really hope that they're gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Don't you don't have to cry about that, sweetie. You don't have to cry. And Heather is like, Oh my God, thank you so much, Carl. And it takes the Kleenex and she blows her nose. And now she's starting to, you know, feel better. And oh my gosh, it's gonna be okay, guys. I'll be okay. Damn it, Carl, what are you doing? (laughs) You know, and it's now what we've done with Heather is now we've caused an emotional break for her. We've stopped her from having these emotions. Man, I love emotions in my group. Man, I get excited about it right now. I'm not even doing a group, you know, but emotions are something that is going to heal us because we've spent so much time taking those emotions and putting them away with either substances or whatnot, you know. Emotions are going to come out, and emotions are going to come out at work too, guys. Be careful. They will come out at work, but Mm. all the work that we're doing right now is to prepare you for those type of moments when you're not in a controlled environment, you're not at home and the emotions happen, you're not sitting down and watching the news, and then the Charmin commercial comes on, and now all of a sudden you're crying during the Charmin commercial. I mean, talk about great marketing value right there. So, okay, Heather, we're getting towards the end of the interview. And I think that I'm going a little delirious here. So can you kind of summarize what we talked about for us a little bit? And if you had to tell somebody one thing that came into your office that could benefit them for either looking for a job or even kind of wrapping their head around the idea of work, what would be something you could tell them?
1: Figure out how to get excited about it figure out how to get excited about you and the job you want figure out how to be positive about where you're coming from so you you know your past is what it is now you want to make sure that you're highlighting the positives from it you know I remember talking with people even COVID has silver linings it's like what well actually I mean look at this we I wouldn't have been so good with Zoom or I wouldn't have been able to have remote days or so even though it's when you first look at it, it seems like a pretty shitty situation. You got to find the good stuff. You got to find the positives. And I say put that foot forward, put your best foot forward and let people know that I have some skills. I have some qualities that you want in your business.
0: Absolutely. And that's, you know, and that's what it all kind of boils down to is becoming comfortable with ourselves, developing those new skills, developing those new tech ta- tactics that we can use. I need to learn yeah. how to speak tonight, learn the new tactics that we can use, what I call the tools in the toolbox. And, you know, and everybody's tools are going to be different. You know, my, my tools are different from Heather's tools. You know, the things that my go to coping mechanisms and skills and things that I do are going to be different from other people. So, you know, if you're thinking about, well, Joe at the meeting said that he does it this way and it looks like it really works for him. That's great. Try it out. But then take that skill and make it your own, because if you don't make it your own and you don't individualize that skill to yourself, then you're probably not going to use it very long. But it's when we have that value of it's something that we've created specifically to help ourselves. And, you know, that falls in with motivational interviewing to help the client come up with this wonderful idea on how to fix a problem or how to look at a problem. You know, it it really is important that we learn these skills to come up with and so, Heather, I really want to thank you for coming on. We, we kind of threw this together at the last minute, but yeah. I've had such a fun time with you. And oh, this I, is great. I'm ready to do it again. Give me another you. topic. <laughs> yes. So I have one question for you. If yeah. you had to describe yourself as an animal today, what would your animal be?
1: Hippopotamus.
0: Okay. Okay. Sorry. Do you want it, was that do you your? Want I want you
1: finish the question. No,
0: that was the question. But Heather is very excited today. I can tell she's might have had a little bit of caffeine, but that's okay. <laughs> and in all honesty, guys, there's a little bit of a delay between us on our our because we're doing this over webcams, and I'm using a. a Service called Squadcast, which does stereo recording and stuff. So there's a little bit of delay. So I've been giving Heather hand signals through this interview, which I actually started about halfway through. So if I gave her one finger, I said, That basically means Heather, I need to speak. And then when I gave her a thumbs up, that was like, Hey, you can go on, or maybe I'm done talking. So now it's your turn. And we're going to write a book about it. We're going to send out. No, we (laughs) didn't. But I'm glad that you caught on. So. (laughs) Okay. So So I know you're probably
1: asking what animal I would be, but my favorite animal is a hippopotamus because, and and I'm overweight. So I've still overeaters anonymous made me love myself, but I'm still a lot to love. (laughs) So hippopotamuses, they're these big ass creatures, right? They're ginormous, but you put them in the water and they look like little flower petals and they have those cute little ears, But you mess with them, and they will rip your head off. Apparently, more people are killed by hippopotamuses than lions. That's what—that was a surprise. (laughs) So, like that hippopotamus thing.
0: Yeah, that's actually a big surprise. Who would have thought? So, the next time you're on the jungle cruise over at Disneyland, beware of that hippopotamus that's going to jump out of the water. And I don't know where I'm going with this right now. But Heather, again. (laughs) Again. I want to thank everybody for listening today. You have been listening to the Drunken Worm Podcast. We will be bringing you new content every week. If you would like to follow us, please hit that follow button on your favorite streaming app. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeartRadio. You may also go to our website, thedrunkenwormpodcast.com, to learn more about the show, sign up for our email club, and visit our blog. If you would like to join the conversation on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also join Carl as he co-hosts the Recovery Revolution live show every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All the information that was just mentioned will be listed in the show description with clickable links so that you don't miss a beat. Thank you again for joining us this week. Stay well, stay sober, and live your best life. Take care.